2: Welcome to the show, everyone. It's our first birthday, and in the second year of the show, I want you to expect more. That means more shows, more interviews, more videos, more comics, more fun. I also want you to expect a couple of big changes. The first one being, we're changing the name of the show. Why are we doing this? Well, a couple of reasons. First of all, we want a name that's going to reflect our emphasis on Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Looking back on the more than 50 shows we've done, the overwhelming majority of those are about Gracie Jiu-Jitsu, about Jiu-Jitsu history, and we want a name that reflects that. Second, we want to unify all of our content into one place where you can find it, so we can be most useful to the community and be the best possible resource we can be. Now, a lot of you know that I have a blog called Dirty White Belt, and that's going to be available at DirtyWhiteBelt.com. From now on, the show is going to be called Dirty White Belt Radio. Now, don't worry. It's still going to be the same kind of content that you've come to expect, We're still going to be locally focused. We'll always be focused on jiu-jitsu and the fighting arts in the Carolinas and beyond. That means the Southeast, Virginia, South Carolina, all those places. But we're also going to bring you more interviews with really important figures in national and international Brazilian jiu-jitsu, in jiu-jitsu and martial arts history, and more. Because jiu-jitsu is a fighting art, we're still going to focus on MMA. We're still going to bring in local fighters and things like that. So the content shouldn't change, but the name is going to. So from here on out, you can find us at DirtyWhiteBelt.com. We're going to unify all the radio shows, more than 50 shows. We're going to unify my blog, which has about five years of blog posts that hopefully you find useful. We're going to unify all the training videos, all the food videos, all the nutrition information. And we're going to start producing regular comics again, too. For those of you that have followed some of the comics that I've done for Toro BJJ, Cage Side MMA, and stuff like that, we're going to start producing more of those as well. And that's what I mean when I say I want you to expect more. We're still going to do the weekly, maybe more than weekly on occasion, radio show, but we're going to make the radio show better. You're still going to hear regularly from Trevor Hayes about Muay Thai, about MMA, about all the stuff that he gets up into, but we're going to bring in a rotating cast of guest hosts as well. A lot of these people are going to be people that you've heard and hopefully enjoyed on the show. Folks like Hoist Gracie Black Belt Seth Shamp. Folks like John Bagels Telford, active competitor Brown Belt at Forged Fitness. Folks like Lourdes Cantu, who you haven't heard yet on the show, but who's a blue belt at Chapel Hill Gracie Jiu-Jitsu and brings a lot of really interesting perspectives on the local scene, somebody that I'm excited to talk with. And folks like Cody Malte, who's been on the show a couple of times, runs Elevate MMA. I'll continue to be the main host, but we'll have a rotating cast of guest hosts, including folks like Trevor, Seth, Cody, Bagels, Lourdes, and maybe a couple more. Uh, We have some fun surprises planned for you as well. All of our social channels are going to change to the Dirty White Belt brand, but if you follow us already, you should still be able to follow us. We're on Instagram at Dirty White Belt and on Twitter at DWB Radio and at Jeff Shaw. You can also get at us on both of those platforms using the hashtag DWBBJJ. Right now, DirtyWhiteBelt.com just redirects to my blog, but we're doing a redesign that's going to launch on the first of the year, and I can't wait to show you all that. The show has always been a labor of love, and it's going to continue to be that. We're going to put a lot more time and energy into it than ever before, though, and so you'll continue to hear the show weekly, but you'll also see more videos, more guests, more cartoons, uh, more fun stuff that's just going to keep you engaged with the jiu-jitsu scene in the Carolinas and beyond. So I want to thank everybody who's listening for your support so far. I hope that you will continue to support the show going forward, and I'm excited to see where year two takes us. When I started out in journalism, I was a reporter covering two Indian tribes on the West Coast, the Suquamish and the Port Gamble-Scalallum tribes. One of the first events I covered was a powwow that the Suquamish tribe held to honor its many combat veterans. Now, a lot of you are hip to this, but sometimes when you're interviewing someone, you ask a question that seems simple or obvious. The reason you ask something that you think you probably already know the answer to is pretty simple. You want to hear the person you're interviewing give a detailed answer that breaks it down for new people in a way that introduces them to the issue. When I first met the organizer of the powwow, I asked her the natural question, why is it so important to honor veterans? It was as if I'd asked her why it's important to breathe. This is our Veterans Day show. The jiu-jitsu community and the veteran community interact in a lot of ways, and we wanted to reflect that. We talked to an active duty service member who owns an academy. We talked to a representative of a nonprofit organization that uses jiu-jitsu as part of its mission to end veteran suicide in America. And we talked to a Navy veteran with some compelling reasons for why people leaving the service often find a home in jiu-jitsu. Those are the people that we should really hear from today. So let's just get to the first guest.
0: Ricardo Tubbs. I'm the owner of uh, the Fermi Kimota Company and the Fermi Training Center, Chesapeake, Virginia. Uh, I've been training for 12 years. I'm a black belt under Master Ricardo Cavalcanti, a Carlson Gracie Coral Belt, and I've trained under a lot of different people because I'm active in the military. I moved a lot, but uh, I've been very lucky to train under uh, several great black belts.
2: I wanted to talk to Ricardo Tubbs because, as well as being on active duty, he's also involved with so many different aspects of the art. He trains jiu-jitsu, owns a school, does seminars on bases, and heads up a gi company. I also wanted to talk to him about a new nonprofit foundation he's founded, but the only time we could find to talk was when he was driving to Washington, D.C. I didn't know why that was the only time he could talk to me, but we'll get into that later. First, I want you to hear him talk about his philosophy on jiu-jitsu and his thoughts on veterans in the art. As an active duty service member, what does Veterans Day mean to you?
0: Veterans Day obviously is a very uh, special day for us because Veterans Day is about, uh, you know, I, for me, I think of Veterans Day as the guys who did this before I did. If that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I like to remember and reflect upon the guys that uh, that have done this longer than me did this before i came in I, one of my favorite things to do is go and talk to a veteran um you can learn a lot from somebody who was there before you sometimes service members forget to learn the lessons of our past so for me uh it's about celebrating those who, uh, who served the country uh, as we say in the navy with honor courage and commitment
2: do you have a lot of veterans that train with you at your school we do. We do.
0: We have, uh, several veterans, uh, that train with us, uh, uh all the way from, we have Marines, uh, we got an Air Force guy. We even let him train with us. <laughs> um, several Marines, uh, and, and sailors too. Uh, we don't have any army guys right now, but, uh, at some point in time, I'm sure we will. You know, one of the things that I also do is I teach seminars on the bases. Uh, I just did one, um, at Fort Meade not too long ago. The thing for me, when I go and I do a seminar in the base, I did one in Japan a few months back. Um, I don't charge clubs on bases for seminars. Uh, it's just my way of giving back to them. Uh, I think the most I tell them is, you know, you go ahead and give me lunch. That'd be pretty cool. And I don't eat that much, so I'm pretty cheap. <laughs> so it it, it works out pretty good and I actually I really enjoy doing that it's a great way to give back Uh, I think I just talked to some guys from the Naval Academy recently so we'll be looking at maybe doing one up there
2: as someone who comes out of uh, the Carlson Gracie lineage uh, master Ricardo Cavalcanti uh, what's your philosophy on jiu-jitsu is it something that's primarily a self-defense art with some sportive aspects is it something that's purely for self-defense uh, what, what where do you come down on the whole sport jiu-jitsu self-defense um, what's the what's the what is jiu-jitsu all about for you
0: so for me for us, we always say the same thing, and I, my students right now would probably be able to finish my sentence before I say it. But if you don't know self defense, you don't know jujitsu. So self defense is a big part of our is a big part of our program at my academy. Um, everybody trains at my academy, men, women, children. Um, so I feel that I have a responsibility to make sure that everybody knows self defense. With that being said. We also have a lot of guys that compete. I still compete, um, so we don't solely focus on self defense, uh, but it is an important aspect of what we do. So when my guys go for their belt test, they better know their—they better know their self defense. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very, very important to to me to make sure that when I have a student who walks out of my doors. I don't really want to see them trying to do a baron bolo on the streets to protect themselves. Like, not that that's a bad technique for sports jiu-jitsu. It's probably going to get you jacked up off the streets. So being that a lot of my students are active duty military and also are police officers, uh, I, have a, I have a responsibility to make sure that, they, that I, I keep them safe on the streets. So we do both. We definitely do both. We love competing, but we also uh, teach the self defense.
2: What do you think it is about jiu-jitsu specifically that helps folks uh, either coming back from a, a conflict zone or, or, uh, or service members? What do you think it is specifically about jiu-jitsu that, that helps with that mental aspect?
0: You know, I don't know if it's just jiu-jitsu. Uh, I've got a friend of mine who, who his thing is running. Right? That's what he does. He does triathlons, and, and so I think what it is is that it is a way for you to not only challenge yourself physically, But it's also a mental challenge. So uh, I know you do jujitsu also. So uh, what belt level are you now? I'm a purple belt. Okay, so as a purple belt, I I know when I was a blue belt. I I, after white belt, everything was great at white belt, and I made blue belt. And I was a blue belt for a while. I remember how many times I was like, "God, this is driving me nuts. I've had enough of this." As I'm on my way to the gym, you know. (sighs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so it's like oh, I'm so tired. of just here every time I go, I just get beat up. and Everyone's admitting me, uh, and, you know. But it's a mental challenge, right? I never gave up. Of course, um, of course, some people do give up at blue belt, and then the same thing. Once I got the purple belt, I felt the same way. I was like, ah, it's driving me nuts. But then things started getting better, and then I started to see the light. So I think that there's a there's a mental and a physical aspect mixed into it. You're making yourself better. You feel physically better. Um, just like, you know, runners get that runner's high. I definitely think that there's a jiu-jitsu high. Uh, the release of endorphins that make you feel better when you're out there rolling. You, you, you bond with people. There's no other martial art that I know of that is, and for lack of a better word, that's as intimate as Brazilian jiu-jitsu. You kind of can't get any closer to somebody than you do when you're doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Uh, so these people that you, you you spend time with you sweat with sometimes you bleed with they become your close friends uh, uh and and it's a it 's whole nother community of people uh and and we all come together, and everybody is the same once we hit the mats. so I think maybe maybe there's a little bit more to it because of the intimacy uh the the closeness that we become uh in jiu Jitsu. um uh, but i you know for me, it's 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 the mental and the physical and the, the, the desire to get better all the time. And and so just like a guy who goes out and runs his marathon, he wants to get his personal record every time he goes out and runs or every time he goes out and competes. For me, you are always there's always gonna be something new to learn in jujitsu. Uh so as soon as you think you're pretty good, somebody's gonna come along that's even better.
2: One of the main reasons I was interested in interviewing Ricardo was that I'd heard he'd started the KB1 Foundation, which is dedicated to providing an outlet for those suffering from PTSD. I wanted him to tell me about it in his own words, so I asked. That's when I found out why we had to talk to him when he was driving. You mentioned to me during when we emailed back and forth about your nonprofit KB1. Um, how did that? Ele- I want you to tell me about the goals for the nonprofit, uh, how it came about, and why it's important to you.
0: Well, it's interesting that you asked that question because the the funeral I just came from uh and I'm coming back from right now was actually for the namesake of k b one so um chief Officer Kevin Ben was laid to rest today uh very very good friend of mine um unfortunately uh due to some of the problems that we have when we have to go to war uh Kevin physically came back. Uh, from the war, but Kevin never came back from the war. He wasn't the same person that came back, and unfortunately, uh, he succumbed to uh, the PTSD, and uh, unfortunately, he took his life. So, to me, what we are what we are trying to do with KB One, which we're still working on all the kinks, getting everything together to make sure that we can get uh, and just do everything the proper way. Um, the goal is for us to get a coalition of academies uh, and have instructors that will openly have their doors open for uh, active duty service members, uh, even police officers, anybody who has been, uh, had to deal with the PTSD issues. So it's not just active duty service members we are trying to take care of police firefighters, first responders. Um, I always know that when I go on deployment to wherever it may be that I go. Um, What helps me get centered when I come back is jiu-jitsu. So if I came back and I had nothing else to do, I just came back and, you know, the lawn is waiting for me to mow it, whatever it is, uh, I think it would be very difficult for me. So jiu-jitsu is the one thing that normalizes me when I come back from jiu-jitsu. And I think a lot of times, what happens is guys need to have an outlet. So what we want to do is we want to get a coalition of, of academies together that actively, um, bring people in, try to make them, uh, give them something just like what I have that normalizes them when they come back. So the cool thing about one of the foundations that we're working with is they have a lot of different things, whether there's, they have a running group, um, uh, they, they do motorcycle rides. So what kind of, a, a it off from the Spartacus Foundation right now, uh, as we continue to work on on getting all of our stuff together. So the goal is one, like I said, you have a coalition of academies across the country together, um, and hopefully once if we can if we can uh, um, get the academies to quite possibly, if it's needed uh, financially, if it's needed to provide a, a little bit of a lower cost for tuition. Um, and then the other thing that we want to do with the, 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 uh, KB one is we want to go out and train leaders, um, whether it's active duty leaders, police officers, firefighters, whoever it is, we want to train them on how to talk to people when they are concerned that somebody may want to hurt themselves. So, uh, a lot of guys, uh, whether it may be. Me, you, anybody else, we may see something. Hey, you know what? Jerry doesn't look like, you know, he has been the same for a while. He's doing this, he's doing that. Things aren't the same, you know, but I don't want to talk to him. But we have to be able to talk to the people um, and, and reach a hand out to them. Um, we know that there are, there are going to be some times where we're not going to be able to save everybody. But if we can teach leaders uh, and peers how to talk to somebody who is, uh, at risk then we could save that person's life so to me this is something that I, I, I'm dedicated to I've been doing a lot of training on it obviously past 20 years of Navy we're always training on, on suicide prevention but it's time to, to make the rubber hit the road we simply have to teach people how to talk to people about suicide because most people would just run the other way
2: How can people get in touch with you if they're interested in being part of your coalition of academies?
0: Well, right now they can uh, reach us through uh, Facebook. We're at uh, KB One Foundation on Facebook. Uh, pretty pretty simple to find us right now. We don't even we don't have a website up right now. Like I said, we're still working on getting getting everything together. Uh, and and as soon as we do, we'll have a website up and we'll get all that stuff squared away. But one of the things that I I, I, I want to focus especially, too, with the, with the organization. You know, we, we made up some T-shirts and some patches. Our goal is not to make a whole bunch of money. Our goal is not to make money, period. Our goal, because we see that with a lot of these different foundations that are out there, they're making all this, this money, and we don't see what they're doing with it. So this is a, what we're trying to do is just get a gra- grassroots uh, um, movement just to get people out there who, who offer something. To active duty, uh, really to anybody who's suffering from PTSD, who's had suicidal ideation, and thought about suicide, to give them something outside of nothing. Um, and so, to me, that really shouldn't cost any money. So I don't. I, I feel like the the foundation doesn't need to raise money for much, unless it's for us to go out and give training um, to different places, because I think that that's really important. But Uh, You know, the big thing for us is to make sure that we're actually doing something and we're 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 doing the right thing for people. So, as time goes on, of course, you know that may change uh, on on how we do it, Uh, but we're we're going to square this thing away. We're going to do our best to help people. um, You know, uh, battle this disease of um, you know because it's a mental illness, and we've got to do something to help people.
2: Now we get to the final reason I wanted to talk to Ricardo, and it's funny because this part wasn't actually supposed to end up on this show. Eventually, we're going to do a podcast about gi companies, where we interview people from Toro, from Lanky, maybe from Origin and Show Your Roll, and just focus on the kimonos we wear when we train. I thought as long as I had Ricardo on the phone, I would ask him about Deferma, the gi company he owns. That was supposed to be for the gi show, but he told me a story when I asked that meant it had to make it on the Veterans Day show. You'll understand when you listen to this.
0: You know, we're very proud of our G company, uh, the Fermi Kimono Company. Um, we're a little bit of a smaller company. Not everybody knows about us, but we've been around for a while. Uh, you know, we've we've made our name uh, for being a company that makes a lot of custom G's for schools. So, so people start seeing our, our, our uniforms around and like, wait a minute, that's so, uh, you know, we make a lot of stuff for schools, but we also have a a really uh, robust uh, retail aspect of it. So I know we're talking about Veterans Day. We always, 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 365 days a year have discounts for active duty military. Uh, all they have to do is email us at info at the uh, And then there's a light screening process. Then the reason why there's a screening process is because there are people out there who will do anything to get a discount on something. Um, so we just make sure that we're, we're providing our discount to people who've earned it.
2: Do um, you mean to tell me that you have some shady people claim to be active duty military to get a discount on a gi? Oh,
0: absolutely.
2: Yes,
0: absolutely. <laughs> people are. Listen, I don't think that everybody in this world is shady, but there's some shady people out there. So there's some shady people out there.
2: There are a lot of ways to honor veterans. You can support great organizations like the KB1 Foundation or Mission 22, which is the subject of our next interview. You can turn out to an event that benefits veterans, or you can just say thanks. At a bare minimum, though, try not to pretend to be a veteran to save some money on a gi. And if you're listening to this and you happen to have done that, you should donate twice that money that you saved to veterans' charities.
1: Jiu-jitsu is part of the solution. Jiu-jitsu saves lives. Veterans love jiu-jitsu. I love jiu-jitsu. Um, we, we appreciate what you do as a community. Um, the, way that you, the way that you treat people, your humility, um, your compassion, your respect, um, it, is, it is felt. Um, the ripples that you bring about in the veteran community that I see firsthand at Fort Bragg um, on a, nearly a daily basis, um, we feel that and we appreciate it.
2: That's Julia Parker Gumpert from Mission 22, speaking at Toro Cup 2. Mission 22 is committed to ending veteran suicide, and they use jiu-jitsu as a core element of their work. I could say more about that, but it's probably best to let Julia explain it. So for our listeners who may not be aware of Mission 22 or Elder Heart, maybe you can explain exactly what it is you folks do.
1: So Elder Heart's a not-for-profit that was started in Nashville, Indiana by Mike uh, Kissel. Um, Tom Spooner and Magnus Johnson, and they were using large social projects, specifically ART, um, when they first started to draw attention to veterans' issues, um, primarily uh, the veteran suicide issue. Um, 22 a day at that time um, was the VA <clears throat> agreed-upon statistic. They were taking their lives here once they came back from combat um, area deployments. Um, recently, the VA's amended that number down to 20. Um, primarily, we wanted to first off draw awareness to the issue so the war at home memorial is uh now is now in place it's in bandera texas on the site of uh warrior's heart which is the first um, warrior's healing warriors treatment center in uh in america fans there it's completed now i urge everybody to go to uh mission 22.com to check the the pictures of that out but you know i think it, all, through through the entire inception of this process, awareness was primary, and then accountability was second. And we started to to realize that as a not for profit, we had we had to grow. All right, everybody's aware now. The numbers out there, you know, I think we did a pretty good job of that. But now we need to address part of the solution. What are the solutions? And that's how we got into jujitsu started looking at the things here locally in the Fort Bragg area that really people were enjoying when they came from some deployment so people could really feel that sense of community, still be healthy, still um, have the ability to to essentially be a family again. And jujitsu is one of those standouts. So so now, as, as Mission 22 has evolved, awareness, phase one, um, the monument's up. It's going to be traveling, so everybody will have the ability to experience how powerful it is. Now we need everybody to step up. This is a time where we really want to focus on getting folks who need treatment, who need some, who need some assistance, um, a place to go. So now that the monument's funded, you know, every dollar that comes in will go directly to funding warriors, specifically veterans and uh, family if needed to treatment facility or center of their choice. Um, so this is this is our ability to literally be directly involved in reducing that number even more.
2: It must be exciting to to play a more direct and tangible role in the healing process for veterans.
1: It definitely has been, and I think that's you know through one thing that I've that I've seen through this is everybody always underestimates their ability to make change. Everybody's like, you know, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? You know, the fact that you're talking about it is is. First off, and foremost, and most important, the fact that veterans' issues aren't just a buzzword anymore; these are things that civilians are taking taking responsibility for. Um, you know, so you know, people underestimate their you know ability to make a change from just recognizing that they can make a difference. You know, that's step one. And then, you know, whenever somebody says, "Hey, why don't you come to the maps with me this weekend?" Um, you know, why don't we go down to this tournament instead of you know, you going out and, you know, uh, abusing your body with alcohol or, or substances or, hey, I know you're having a hard time in your marriage. How about you come Wednesday night to jujitsu with me, get some of that anger, that frustration out. So, it, you know, people people are providing access to the solution. And I think that friendship and brotherhood of veterans being accountable with other veterans for their for their actions and for their life and their for their transition from combat roles back to civilian uh, back to the civilian world it's just it's i mean and, i mean it's key
2: is there a particular person you've worked with or a particular success story where you can say yeah jujitsu really changed that person's life uh for the better and uh, I mean, i'm mean, i sure you have many stories but are there any that that leap out to you
1: yeah um specifically pete wilhelm pete wilhelm is one of our core mission 22 guys we've got uh we, I mean, the Mission 22 ambassadors are all over the country now. Essentially, you know, an ambassador is just somebody who says, you know, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue this fight. I, I'm going to take the, the accountability serious. Now I'm going to take action. But, but Pete was one of those guys, a um, retired Marine, combat um, experienced veteran, spent many, many, many months overseas, um, came back, had, a, had an alcohol problem. Um, lost control of his weight, um, lost control of a marriage, um, essentially saw his life spiral out of control. And he made this transition under, uh, um, with his jiu-jitsu to under Hernando Tavares from, uh, from down in Florida, who essentially mentored him and told him, you know, you have to show up to the mat. You have to show up. You have to be here. You have to be present. And then the sport took over after that. Um, I'm pretty convinced, you know, I'm a white belt, not a very a very talented white belt, but I, I feel like the, this sport weeds out um, bad people. I think that the people who stick with the sport and who invest into it, um, they literally become better people because of it. Now Pete um, is healthy. Pete has a, a beautiful marriage, great kids, a successful academy. And essentially, he, he no longer, you know, he, he says the saying, you can either inspire people or infect people. And I think Pete essentially was an infection, you, you know, he just was a bad person up until that point in his life where he showed up to the mat, let jujitsu do what it what it does with everyone, which is make you a better person. And, you know, jujitsu, jujitsu saved Pete's life. And he's done that, you know, ten tenfold now. So he's, it's a dramatic success story
2: what do you think the most important step that mission 22 has taken thus far is
1: I think the most important step um, that we've taken so far is is making everyone aware but making everybody feel like it is obligated um, not obligated in a you know a guilt um, like a guilt-ridden sort of way, but obligated in the fact that we have a free country for a reason, and we have a military full of men and women who essentially will go fight on you know any soil, foreign and domestic, in order to defend the Constitution of the United States. And I think a lot of times we take that for for granted, and it it really goes it really goes full spectrum whenever you focus on the health of the veteran returning home. That you will not forget the ones who are still active duty. Um, because we, we really wouldn't have a lot of these veteran issues if, if the health to well being, the family structure, and, and the overall mental health of, of these soldiers are addressed earlier. So I think the, the fact that everybody now feels obligated because, you know, we, we essentially have such a great military, I think that's the most important step is that we've just given people this ability. To, to essentially change the course of veteran health care from active duty till now.
2: If someone is listening to this podcast and they think, you know, you're right, we all owe a debt to these American veterans, to the active duty service members, I want to help. What are some tangible ways that people that listen to this podcast can help, whether that's help your organization, whether it's a financial contribution or a volunteer contribution, or whether it's to help other great organizations trying to do similar things? What, what, how would you answer that person?
1: We, over the last year, have created this essential referral website. If you go to www.mission22.com and you click on resources, we have, um, you know, resources listed all the way from We Defy Foundation, which is Alan Chabarro and Joey Bostic, um, created not-for-profit that will train um, combat wounded veterans on the maps, all the way up to Black Belts for Butterflies. Rich McKeegan's and, and Dylan's Wings link, for Change for, that could address some of the issues that are in the, in the family, that are in the home dealing with autism. Um, you know, that, that website probably is from years and years of essentially meeting good people who have presented a multi-solution, um, you know, plethora of, of information for such a complicated and complex problem. So I tell people to go there. Financial contributions, like I said, now are going straight to funding um, treatment as it's needed. And then if people want to get involved on a local level and want to come to some of the events, um, we have an event-specific page set up for jujitsu and for just basic uh, social and community events on on Facebook. Um, They can find on Instagram. Um, And we really encourage people to essentially not, not stop. You know, we're not going to stop until there's not a need for for Mission Twenty Two anymore. That there's not a need for these organizations.
2: I just have one final question for you, which is a, uh, may, maybe a simple one or a complicated one. I'm not sure. How has working with Mission Twenty Two changed your
1: life? Ooh, <laughs> um, I don't think I've ever, don't think I've uh, ever been asked that. You know, I I really had to to take a moment. Um, back when I first got involved years ago. And I um, I sought this out because I was a healthcare provider in the Fayetteville area. And I had a patient who uh, was a veteran, was a friend, and who I had a lot of time um, and emotional love and support invested in, take his own life. Um, left me a letter. And, you know, from that moment on, I felt, I felt obligated, like I needed to do something. And I also felt um, like a terrible, uh, terrible, um, provider. The fact that I didn't, I didn't know the statistic. I wasn't able to risk stratify. I wasn't able to identify. So my, my intentions for, for getting involved, um, were, I think the most were, were genuine. Um, but I think that it has given, it has given me a sense of family that, uh, that I didn't have before. Um, and I won't say that it's given me a purpose because I've been committed, but it's given me a focus-driven purpose. Um, and, you know, I, I came into this because of a tragedy, and I don't want anyone to ever have to experience that. I don't want my husband to have to experience that. So I think a focus-driven purpose probably the, the biggest impact change has had mm-hmm. on my life.
2: Is there anything I haven't asked about that you wish I would have asked about or you think people should know about Mission 22?
1: I just don't want anyone to underestimate their, you know, the change that they're making on a, on a daily basis. Um, you know, I, I just really don't want also anyone to ever be mad at my email response time <laughs> either. But, um, you know, my email is julia at mission22.com. Um, if you send an email to the website too, it'll go to our admin box um, and it will get answered and keep an eye out on the ambassador page. Um, if you see a local event pop up in your area, or you want to host an event, um, you know, they don't always have to be fundraisers. We're willing, um, we're willing, ready and able to come in and speak anytime that we can. Um, so we just appreciate the, the fire that hasn't, I mean, it hasn't stopped and I appreciate the opportunity to be on. Thank you.
2: We'll post links on the website and the Facebook page to help you support both Mission 22 and the KB1 Foundation, but it's not just about organizations. It's about the countless veterans around the country who have found a home in jiu-jitsu. We wanted to talk to those folks too, especially those who continue to serve in other ways. One of the people who meets all those requirements, and he's a guy who's passionate about the idea that veterans should try training jiu-jitsu, is Jason Mask, a purple belt that I train with at Triangle Jiu-Jitsu in Durham. So we're here with my training partner and friend, Jason Mask, Purple Bell at Triangle Jiu-Jitsu in Durham, North Carolina, and U.S. Navy veteran. Welcome to the show, Mask. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Man, first let's get started by talking about your time in the service. Well, I was
3: actually active duty for four years, and I enlisted in 1995. Worked as a lifeguard in the local high school and just decided, eh, time to do something new. So um, when I enlisted, um, I went to Great Lakes, Illinois, for my basic training. And it just so happened to be through the months of um, February and March. So it was really cold. I don't think it was above, like, negative six the entire time every day. (laughs) (laughs) The great Midwest, man. (laughs) Yeah. So it was really interesting. Um, It was my first time kind of out of the country as far as um, rural country, you know, and uh, being closer to a bigger city like Chicago. So it was an interesting experience. Very cold all the time. Uh, It was two months long. We actually uh, ran in the drill hall all the time. And instead of being in outside, we would actually uh, shovel snow from one side of the courtyard to the other. And that was kind of how we got our exercise. So it was, was kind of interesting.
2: And what did what did you find you got out of your time in the military? Like, was there a kind of camaraderie, a kind of, uh, like, what 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 did you like about it?
3: You know, it's interesting, like, the relationships that you develop. Um, you meet people, kind of spur the moment in different situations, and you make lifelong friendships out of it. Uh, Still have several friends in California, a friend in Hawaii. Still talk to them all the time uh, that I was in the service with. And it's just good to to develop those relationships. I think you develop a skill set. You learn a little bit about yourself and, quite frankly, being on your own and learning how to deal with situations. You still have the team aspect where you rely on a team and they help you out and everything. But um, it's a good journey of finding yourself and learning a lot about yourself when you're out there.
2: See, to me, a lot of what you just described sounds a lot like jiu-jitsu.
3: <laughs> it is a lot like jiu-jitsu. Uh, I, I think um, you know, there's several things that uh, people look for, veterans look for, coming out of the military. And that's something with um, structure, uh, discipline, rank. We have all those things in jiu-jitsu. Um, you don't always get those in a, in a normal uh, job when you get out of the service. You, you know, You're trained in a skill set. You don't always get to apply that skill set when you get out. So you look for the things that you really enjoyed about
2: the service while you were in. You've also been a firefighter for some years. And do you find you get a lot of the same stuff out of that type of public service? Or is or is, is there something that's different?
3: No, you get a lot of the same things out of it. Um, one of the things uh, I enjoy most about uh, jujitsu is the importance of being on a team and trusting somebody again. You know, you get that in your emergency services, uh, you get that in in the military, but you don't get that a lot um, out in the civilian world. So jujitsu gives you a chance to train with other people, build on that team camaraderie, and you develop the ability to trust people again in a way that you don't necessarily do in your normal, like nine to five job. When you roll with somebody and somebody catches you in a submission, you trust them to take care of you and, and let it go when you tap or, or know how to do the right things. You know, and, well, you just don't get that trust a lot um, out in the civilian world. One of the things I think that, that really goes unaddressed with, uh, with the Jiu Jitsu is, like the veteran in Jiu Jitsu, is the adrenaline that you get out of it. You know, if you're used to jump out of planes for a living, it's hard to, to duplicate that in the civilian world. But in jiu you get a chance to be in a controlled environment, but yet go wide open and have that adrenaline rush and experience those things and get those feelings back that you used to have uh, when you were like training in the military.
2: So do you remember the moment in jiu-jitsu when you were like, man, I really love this. Man, I really found something here. Like, How long had you been training when that moment happened for you? And do you remember what that was like? I
3: think the first time I really fell in love with jiu-jitsu – uh, I had started my, my wife had been in jujitsu for a, almost a year already, and when I started um, you and I started about the same time mm-hmm. and uh, I remember hoist came by, and uh, it was our first seminar with Hoist, and we were in our our first building um, He came by and um, he had us up against the wall, all the white belts just drilling, drilling you know and it was almost like when he first walked in, it was kind of like. You felt like he was Vader and you were a stormtrooper. You know, and you didn't know whether you were going to get just walked by or force choked, you know, because it was just that kind of like, oh, wow, I can't believe this guy's here in this room. I can't believe I'm in the same room with this guy, you know, but he was really cool. And uh, he had us up against the wall, all the white belts just drilling while he was kind of giving the seminar to the blue belts and above. And I remember him talking to Jojo about uh, ripping his arm off like a turkey at Thanksgiving. <laughs> You know, he's like, you want it to make this sound when you control the arm, you know? And I was like, oh, this is so awesome. I really love this.
2: Man, I, I remember that distinctly, man. That was, yeah, that was, that was a heck of an experience. Yeah. And so, you know, you talked about the importance of, you talked about rank. And, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so in jujitsu, we we have these belts and they sort of mark our progress. And like, and it sounds like you would make that comparison uh, to the military.
3: Yeah, it's very much the same. You know, when you go in, you start, you really don't know anything. And it's up as much uh, it's as much up to the people around you to train you up as it is the instructor. And the military was kind of the same way. You depended on your peers a lot to bring you up to speed. I think that you know, just the whole process of of um, of being able to come in and train and you get in like a, a state of a state of mind, like a, like a motion. I think that's very important because it takes you away from everything else. It's almost like therapy. You know, when you're out on the mats and you're rolling, you only have one thing on your mind, you know, and then it's like defense or offense. or You're in just in the mode. You're, you're in the flow, and you're not thinking about, like, is trash supposed to come today or tomorrow? You know, like, what do I need to roll the trash out the curb? You're actually, like, you're engaged into just that. And I think, like, that is a good – exercise for your mental health. You know, I think a lot of veterans can use that because you know, in the service, you're in a moment, you're in a period, you're in a time, and a lot of times you're in a position where you can't think about anything but what you're doing right at that time. And I think veterans miss that a lot when they get out, that type of concentration, and you get a lot of that in jujitsu.
2: What does Veterans Day mean to you personally?
3: I think Veterans Day in general is a time for – other veterans especially to recognize each other. Like there's Memorial Day for for uh, soldiers that have passed. Um, but Veterans Day is a chance for us to recognize each other, know who we are and be there for each other. Like it's an opportunity for us to say, "Hey, this guy was in the service just like me. Does he need any help with anything? Can I can I help him out? Can he help me out?" You know, just awareness that there's other people that care as much about you know the country or for whatever reason you join the same reason you did you know and it, it kind of illuminates that type of person and the person that you want to help out and the person you want to help you
2: what do you what do you think your biggest moments so far in jujitsu have been you know you've been doing it for some years now and when you look back like either your most memorable moments or the things where you're like this is a significant moment in my life in my particular journey
3: well, honestly um, we went out to Worlds. Our first trip out to Worlds was an, was an amazing trip. We had a great time out there, and the, the stories we got back from that made us want to go back out every year. Uh, there was a time out there when you and I were standing in the bullpen out at Worlds, and one of the refs comes by and goes like, oh, uh, one of the coaches jumped over the bullpen. You know, and uh, <clears throat> he was like, and the other ref was like, oh, well, go out there and stop him. He was like, no, you go do it. And he was like, well, who is it? And they're like, oh, it's Andre Gaval." And I was like, oh, okay. And they both walked <laughs> the opposite direction, you know. And uh, strangely enough, like, some of my, my most favorite times of jiu-jitsu is when I never even competed. It's, you know, I was there with my friends, enjoying the moment. And uh, we were both competing up at Pan Am's one time. Henzo Gracie jumps over a barrier and helps a teammate of ours at the time who dislocated his shoulder. He jumps right over the barrier, walks out on the mat, and is like, I got this pops his shoulder right back into place
2: (laughs) you know (laughs) those things you just don't get a lot so talking about the first time we went to the world i have some fond memories of that because we were white belts at that time you me and hamid sanders
3: oh yeah yeah those were those were some crazy times i remember uh you and Hamid had, had walked over pretty much the whole gym with your white belts, getting them signed by every black belt you could possibly find in the whole gym. And the common threat was, this better not end up on eBay. you know.
2: <laughs> yeah, I actually got some physical threats from the Gracie Baja guys. They were like, this better not, or all of Gracie Baja will be after you. I was like, no, man, this isn't leaving my house. Yeah. And, it, and it hasn't. It's still hanging on my wall. Yeah,
3: that was amazing. Those, those belts, all those signatures you guys got from that. And I remember um, I remember you were – some guy had an illegal patch and you chewed it off with your teeth because there was no scissors around. That was Ryan
2: Hansler, in fact, Yeah, had the yeah. illegal patch. Yeah, who, uh... standing
3: in the bullpen. You, you get to see a lot of crazy stuff. Uh, I remember that we, you and I were both in the bullpen at one time, and I think Kim was out on the mats, but not on the mat we were watching. We couldn't actually see over anybody's heads. We just kept seeing this one lady fly over the top and land, fly over the top and land. We're like, what's going on over there? Well, it turns out like there was about a 300 pound uh, judokan female there from Mongolia, and she was a part of the national team, and uh, she was laying the smack down through the blue belt ranks over there. And we were just seeing that. And uh, what was funny was how she mysteriously disappeared for the open. It was almost like we kept we kept joking around like, uh, you know, oh uh, the Brazilians captured her and took her off in a van or something because we couldn't find her anywhere for the open. She just disappeared. <laughs>
2: You never know, man. You never know what's going to happen at the jiu-jitsu world.
3: And, of course, uh, I think uh, the Newark qualifier for Abu Dhabi was pretty awesome going up there and seeing uh, Kim and Bagels up there competing in that. And Kim actually qualified and got to go. I remember when she she won that, we were like, oh, man, this is actually happening. We're actually going to Abu Dhabi. This is crazy. And then just going there and experiencing that moment, I think, was probably one of the biggest – differences from me isn't just, just saying like, wow, the community out here is, is crazy. I wish we could bring this this kind of love from the public back you know into the US and, and have them care as much about it as you know say we do.
2: I identify with a lot of that, especially the some of my favorite moments are not moments where I myself was competing, but moments where I was there with my teammates, either in this excellent training experience or where I watched one of my teammates do something impressive, like Kim qualifying for Abu Dhabi, or or, or I wasn't there at that time, but like you know a moment like that where you're like ah that's somebody that I've trained with every day, like one of your teammates wins a fight,
3: yeah, right, and you're like, absolutely. I had started like after Jake, uh, pretty much stopped fighting, so I didn't get to see so many of his fights. But uh, people like Chris, uh, Dewan, seeing these guys fight and represent us—you know—even though that you didn't actually uh, do that—you know, you helped them get prepared and get ready for it. But hey, that's a part of you out there, you know, and you're really happy to see these people succeed and do well. I think that's one of the best things about jujitsu to me. Mm-hmm.
2: And you've mentioned that you know you've stayed in touch and formed lifelong friendships with some of your friends that you were in the in the service with as sure. well. And you know, and so that seems to be a commonality between military service and jiu-jitsu is you you have these people that you're going to stay in touch with the rest of your life
3: sure you know you always meet that person uh like we met uh eric and um amber at a um u.s grappling match and you know they were from virginia we didn't really know them man we like those guys so much we kept inviting them down to come down and train with us come at triangle and now they they train regularly at triangle and you know they're part of our team and it's 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 odd how you just meet people one time, and then you feel like, oh, hey, these are these are going to be some good friends, and, you know, you know we're going to develop friendships with these people, and, you know, if you ever need a pl- place to crash, you can go stay there.
2: <laughs> <laughs> You're traveling out of town for a jiu-jitsu tournament. That's a great way to do it. So one other thing, one other commonality that I identify, and I'd be interested to get your take on this, is like in jiu-jitsu sometimes, you'll, you know, lineage is really important. And you know, sure. who you got your belt from, because that reflects who you trained with and stuff like that. And every so often you'll see somebody that maybe plays a little fast and loose with like, I got a black belt, maybe I didn't actually. And I, I've noticed that some of that, some of my military friends talk about stolen valor with guys that claim rank or achievements that they didn't achieve. Do, do you see a parallel there? Right.
3: Well, you know, we talk about parallels, and that's a pretty big parallel uh, you'll see a lot of that in the military, and you tend to see that in jujitsu some, too. You know, um, I was in um, the first Desert Storm era, and um, that doesn't mean that I parachuted out over the Arabian Sea somewhere with a halo and then swam to shore with my flippers and CNN was on the beach and everything. You know, none of that actually happened to me. I was uh, I played my part. I did my role. I was stateside, but I own that, you know, and I think that's very important that you don't have to be somebody you're not. Um, be who you are. You contributed to the cause. I think that's a touchy subject for a lot of veterans. They don't like to see that. And you see that a lot in jiu-jitsu too. Uh, not necessarily like people who um, claim to be, you know, black belts who are white belts, but they're always like up their selves, Like, oh, I'm a, I'm a blue belt or I'm a purple belt. You don't have to do that to be a part of something great. Own your time. Uh, in your rank or in your rate, you'll enjoy it. You'll learn a lot. All your stories will be really good, (laughs) you know, and uh, people respect you a lot more just for being for what you are, you know, on that moment in time and, and be that guy. You know, don't be the other guy.
2: <laughs> On that topic of awesome stories, do you find yourself, when you're talking to people that neither served in the military nor trained jujitsu? do you tell more military stories or do you tell more jiu-jitsu stories to those people?
3: Actually, I'd say I would tell more jiu-jitsu stories because they're just a little bit crazier. You know, <laughs> and uh, people can relate to the military a little bit more than they can. Guys rolling around with each other on the mat, you know, sweaty guys rolling around. I get that all the time at work. I'm like, I don't really understand what you do, you know. Like, which person are you in the Karate Kid? And I'm like, none of them. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so as a veteran yourself who's been doing jiu-jitsu for a little over six years now, mm-hmm. it, um, and what would you say to veterans that have that are maybe just now leaving the service and kind of looking for something to, to fill that role that military service has played in their lives?
3: Well, I mean, this is it. I mean, like, you can't find anything closer to the military than jujitsu, Rank, structure, um, the ability to come in and just have that massive ad- adrenaline dump and train all the time, and uh, having a camaraderie and uh, knowing that you can trust people uh, with your own safety. All those things that um, you grow accustomed to. In the military and you take for granted that they're always going to be there you don't always find as soon as you hit the civilian world but they exist in the jiu-jitsu gym you know and I think that's I think that's really important when people go and they're looking for something you know this is good I, I wish more schools would reach out to veterans and be like hey come train with us these are some of the things that will help you adapt back to civilian life
2: is there anything that I didn't ask about uh, that you wish I would have asked about or maybe if there's anybody that has particularly helped you with your journey that you want to shout out, now's the time.
3: Oh, uh, well, without a doubt, there's some people that's, that's helped me along my way. Uh, Seth and Jake, uh, incredible instructors, always helped us out when we needed it. And uh, they've always said, you know, uh, in a jiu-jitsu journey, you need people better than you, people at your school level, and people that are not quite at your school level yet. To improve all your facets, you know. So you got to thank everybody that you train with, and that you work with, because without them, uh, jujitsu is impossible. You know, you can't. It's hard to train jujitsu without a partner, and that's the biggest difference I think between jujitsu and any other martial art. It's like you need another person, and uh, thankfully in my life I've been blessed with uh, a pretty badass chick. You know, <laughs> <laughs> who are you talking about, Matt? That would be my wife, Kim, and, uh, you know, our journey on jiu-jitsu together has been pretty amazing, and uh, I don't know that it would be half of what it was without her, and that's, uh, that's something I hope we get to experience for the rest of our life. You talk about jiu-jitsu goals. I think probably my biggest jiu-jitsu goal is to be able to do this when I'm 90, you know. I, I think that's important, and I hope that we're doing it together.
2: Jason Mask, Navy veteran, uh, Purple Bell at Triangle Jiu Jitsu, thanks so much for coming into the studio.
3: All right. Thanks, Jeff. I appreciate the opportunity.
2: <laughs> I started the show with a story about how I asked an organizer of a veterans powwow a question about why it's important to honor veterans. And she struggled with an answer because it just seemed like breathing to her. Everybody does it, it's just something you, you should do. I told that story at the start of the show because I want it to be that way for everybody. I want that respect to just be there by default. I want it to be just something that you do, that everybody does. Happy Veterans Day, everybody. That's the show for the week. My thanks to the guests, Ricardo Tubbs, Julia Parker-Gumpert, and Jason Mask. And thanks to you for listening to the show and for hanging with us on the transition from the Concussion Cast to Dirty White Belt Radio. If you subscribed to us on iTunes and Stitcher before, you should still be subscribed even through the name change, but it can't hurt to double check. And if you didn't subscribe before, please do. It really helps the show out. If you like the show, you can leave us a review either place. Same with social media. If you followed us on Twitter or Instagram before, you should still be following us. But if you're not sure, we're on Instagram at Dirty White Belt, on Twitter at DWB Radio and at Jeff Shaw. And you can use the hashtag DWBBJJ and we'll see those posts as well. There was too much good stuff in this episode to cut, so we're going to have a special bonus show this week, recapping Toro Cup 5. Watch for that soon. It should post this weekend. And next week's show is with a legend of Jiu Jitsu that you really need to hear from. It's going to blow your mind, and I can't wait to share it with you. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week.